Hey gang, welcome to episode 47 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles. Today on the show, Zay Amsbury is going to be doing the heavy lifting in New York City. He is talking with Janine Willett and Elizabeth Karena of Third Rail Projects about the Grand Paradise, which is the show that is currently running in Bushwick. Um, the show right now is running through the end of this month. Uh, I believe May 29th, I believe, is the last day. Uh, if you have not seen it yet and you have the ability to, and this is the kind of thing that is up your alley, you should go. End of story. Um, it is definitely... You know, I, I wax poetic about this in the review. Um, it There are challenges in this piece. Uh, it is different from Then She Fell. Uh, it is different from Sleep No More. It is It lays lies somewhere in between in terms of the techniques assembled. There are some really magical moments. And uh, if nothing else, it is a sure sign of the way the form can evolve. Some of what they get up to in there. Uh, this episode goes pretty deep into the development of the piece. Um, it manages, I would say, to stay away from what we would call spoiler territory. In fact, uh, we have a call-in, and that's probably the spoileriest thing that happens in, in the whole piece, is there's a call-in in the show. Yeah, we figured out how to do those now, because we're special. Um, but let's not dig too deep into this particular episode before we actually just do the episode. Let's get down to what uh, so many of you tune in for, the news and the notes. All right, so let's start here in my native Los Angeles. Um, the Snowball Party, which is uh, this event. So this isn't a theater piece so much as it is an experience, and but it is actually devised in part by some people who did some brilliant immersive theater last year who were part of that. Uh, it's Just look it up. I'll, I'll throw some links around. I think there might be some slots left. I don't think I get to go on this particular instance, and they only seem to do about two of these a year so far. Hopefully, they'll start doing more. Uh, but a good friend of the show, uh, Abel Horwitz, wrote about it uh, for LAist uh, a while back, so you can like, kind of like hunt around and find. Um, essentially, what it is is like everyone starts alone, and then they start to like pull people together, so the party snowballs over the course of the night. Anyway, it's coming back. Uh, soon, I think this month or early next month. No, this month. I'm pretty sure this month. Sorry, don't have the exact notes in front of me. I just Chris Hayes of MSNBC uh, happened to like tweet about it on Twitter, and at first I was having like a fugue state because it was one of the first things I saw this morning, and I was like, "Why? Huh? Why is Chris Hayes?" But like, okay, cool. Um, so great. Uh, uh, the guys are getting some attention from uh, far off corners. Chris Hayes, old theater hand too. So. Uh, there's a there's a version of my life that could have happened. Um, Second Skin is a site-specific piece that is showing down at the Santa Monica Beach right now. I think I believe uh, this weekend and next are the are the last two. Did a review over in our Medium collection. Uh, you should check it out. Uh, the piece uh, I've mentioned before. It, uh, it it started off rough for me and then uh, really really won me over, and that's. That's a that's a feat right there, because uh, come on, I'm cranky. Uh, it's you lose me. It's hard to get me back. They got me back. They got me back something fierce. 
So check out the review for that. Check out the show. Totally worth checking out. Uh, Chalks Reps in Case of Emergency is coming back in June. Tickets are now on sale. If you get the Chalk Rep email blast, you get in there. Uh, you can also go into the last issue of No Persinium Los Angeles. Uh, a note from friend of the show, Aaron Vanek. He's got a piece called Something Wicked This Way. He's doing a Shakespeare alternate reality game in San Diego next month at uh, the library there. The notes on that are going to be in the next issue of No Pro LA. I'm checking out a couple of shows this weekend, uh, and there should be some reviews coming through. In New York, uh, Zay is checking out Port Cities, which is happening this weekend. He's excited about that. There was uh, a recent review in The Gothamist about the Illuminati Ball, which is that really pricey ticket in the New York edition of No Pro, uh, and that had some links to New York Times article about uh, the people who make it. So there's some interesting stuff going on there. Uh, and golly gee, Wilkers, some days I wish I was a member of the 1% as opposed to a working stiff. Um, <laughs> leave it at that in terms of uh, expensive shows that I will probably never see. Uh, but hey, maybe maybe you can. Um, and God love it if, uh, if you're an artist and you can figure out how to get the big bucks out of people, you do that. You do that and tell me how to make, make that happen. Okay, um, last note I want to give uh, before we get into this week's episode is, uh, yes, uh, we are overdue for a revamp on the Escape Room and Adventure page on the No Persinium website. Uh, it's been crazy couple of months and... That just takes some focus and presence of mind. And also, I, I really want to start curating that. I don't just want a giant list. The format of the page itself uh, kind of keeps it from being a um, uh, something that can handle like a ton of stuff. Uh, but I want it to be a nice, clean interface for you guys. Um, and of course, somewhere out there, my neighbors decided to start making a lot of noise right at the end. So hey, um, you know it's not too dissimilar uh, from from uh from brooklyn uh which we will hear in a second here so uh let's travel let's travel to kingsland ward hello <laughs> um hello this is zay amsbury and i am at kingsland ward with janine willette and elizabeth karina and we are here to talk about the grand paradise um i know last time uh we said that we would talk about denshifel which we will in fact, we've been talking about it for the last 15 minutes. Before that, we were talking about the Grand Paradise for another 15 minutes. Before that, we were talking about food for 15 minutes. So <laughs> probably should have recorded 45 minutes ago. Um, if you're listening to this and you are not subscribed to the No Proscenium events list, um, check it out. Uh, just go to noproscenium.com or uh, tweet me, Zay Amsbury, or No Proscenium on Twitter. Um, there are lots and lots of immersive and site-specific and interactive events happening in New York that are dance-based, installation art-based, theater-based, uh, direct action-based, and they all may hold some appeal to you if you're listening to this. Um, all right, so we are here to talk about The Grand Paradise. Um, let's, can we start, let's start at the beginning. Um, how did the uh, original idea for the Grand Paradise start and where did it come from? So if, if you go back all the way, um, we have to go back to Roadside Attraction mm -hmm. because the the Grand Paradise kind of came as an idea in response to that. So 
So when was it that we made? It was 2013. <clears throat> was the first, uh, the first show. Oh, that's right. So we yeah. It was right, right after we opened. Then she fell yes. in the new space. So so we opened. Then she fell here in the new space, and we have to even go back further because the 2010 part comes when we bought the camper, I think. So so for years I had been talking about these family camping trips that. Um, that my dad and my mom, my sister, and I would I'm take. I'm so glad your dad is back. <laughs> yes, my dad is back. <laughs> Check. <laughs> so, okay, so we had a Coleman pop-up camper, and I remember these as a child, and we have all these photographs of them. And so, uh, so this opportunity came where Tom's friend was selling her camper because she wanted to um, send her daughter to the Joffrey's Scholarship Program in New York. And so there was a brief exchange of emails and Tom and Zach decided to buy a camper because I had been talking about wanting to make this camper piece. They felt like a really good way to make that happen would be to buy me a camper. <laughs> so we did. And so the camper was in Florida, which was the first problem. Yeah, yeah step, step one. <laughs> step. Buy a camper that's not in Florida. Yeah. So, so we, we had this camper uh, so we had the camper for a while, and it lived in Florida behind uh, Tom's dad's business. Tom has described it as living in a swamp. It was in a swamp <laughs> in Florida. And, um, and we didn't really know exactly how this piece was going to manifest, but then we had had all of these, these experiences um, and opportunities with Arts Brookfield to make works, and that was kind of how Then She Fell was born, and, and we had all these great chances to... To perform, so they asked us if we wanted to do a new piece the next year, and of course, again, Tom and Zach were like, "Yes, Janine wants to do this piece with a pop-up camper." I was like, "Okay, we're gonna do it." So they they hired, uh, they commissioned us to make Roadside Attraction, and it was going to premiere on uh, right outside of the World Financial Center, like in front of the water on that really beautiful plaza, mm -hmm. and and that was kind of the beginning of of um, what. The very, very like start of what would turn into the Grand Paradise and eventually. And what, what was it about these these trips that um, was giving you the impulse to make a piece about them? Well, there, I think the memory and the nostalgia of that period was really fascinating to me. I also just you know thought that having something that could travel, like a piece that could sort of have its own set that would travel, but that would be like a time capsule that would take you back in time. And we'd been making a lot of site-specific pieces, but this to me felt like a chance to make your own site, like a campsite mm -hmm. that would transport people to another place or time and that wouldn't necessarily fit into the landscape where it was being presented, which is kind of an interesting thing. So when you take this vintage campsite and you land in the middle of Manhattan, it feels really very dissonant but at the same time really interesting and then we've also you know played it out in the middle of a field in upstate New York we were in a farmer's market between like the sausage and the cheese stand <laughs> you know so we've, we've had a lot of different places where the the pop-up camper has popped up mm -hmm. and the story behind it you know I kind of brought brought my family story sort of in a broad picture uh, to the cast when we when we started making the piece and and then it sort of became everyone's story like we started to kind of play around with with different themes that everyone had had sort of 
experienced throughout any family vacation with your family. And I think we kind of sat around and first I kind of knew that the mother figure was really something I wanted to explore because in my mind, you know, my mother was very larger than life and she was eccentric and she didn't quite fit into Ohio, but like in a really amazing way. And she had, you know, she would walk out of the house in her like, you know, red candies and her white short shorts and a red tube top and a blonde wig. And we're like in Boardman, Ohio. And as a, you know, a nine year old looking at that, I was just like, and so when I started to look at all these photographs of her, she had a lot of different looks and she just was a really fun, eccentric person. And so that was something I brought to, to the, the piece immediately. I was like, I want to really recreate some of these looks that I remember that my mom had put together. And that was kind of where we started to build some of the costumes. And we even took this one picture of my mom and my dad on a cheetah print blanket with a cheetah print bathing suit and her lily white skin and a blonde wig and I took that to Lizzie and we went wig shopping together and we made that look and we made the cheetah print bathing suit wow. but then so we had to kind of get to what Lizzie's part in that was but um, so we played around with um, with what how could we take this protagonist this mother character and really build that into a full story mm -hmm. and so we started it's not really at some point it's not a story about my family anymore mm -hmm. it was more just like taking that one element and then having the two daughters which was mm -hmm. you know my sister well maybe we <laughs> if I say anything I'll get in trouble but <laughs> we might have based Rebecca a little bit off my sister who was kind of a, a rebel child and, and I, you know, the younger daughter at that time, I, I wouldn't have had a boyfriend. Um, but, you know, we kind of were, we were playing around with the family dynamics very different, differently. So the, the father and the mother had two daughters and then the boyfriend mm -hmm. of the younger daughter. And so we, each character started to kind of get developed based on all of our, our sort of meetings and talks and chats. And then Tom had this really amazing... Idea. And this is, this is all still for roadside attraction, or this is mm -hmm. now moving on to just all else, roadside but... attraction. Mm -hmm. So, so Tom had this amazing idea that if we're going to do a site-specific work where there's no text, but there is kind of this TV episode quality to it, where each day it would unfold, a little more of the story would unfold, and we're going to tell this story about this family camping trip. How could we convey what's going on in Mom's mind? And one day he was just like, I think Lizzie should just be Mom's avatar. And that was kind of the, the key to the whole piece. Like he kind of unlocked the whole piece in that. So, so Tori Sparks played mom and Lizzie played her avatar. And Lizzie would sort of, through these great iconic 70s songs, tell the story of what mom was thinking and sort of also volitionally act out what mom was thinking mm -hmm. as this kind of invisible manifestation of herself and and that kind of duet was the the sort of essence of the whole show and and you know from the moment that you would kind of establish that mom's probably a little bit tired of her life she's tired of her camper she might really wish for something a little bit nicer maybe <laughs> like uh from the moment they would kind of unzip and suddenly you'd see lizzie and tori who actually look a lot alike like we we made lizzie sort of this larger than life version of Tori and they would be sort of in the same costume but Lizzie would just be a little bit more extravagant a little bit more wild and I think you had feather boas mm -hmm. and, and you know Lizzie would act out 
everything from, you know, mom wishing that dad would pay a little bit more attention to her to, you know, mom inserting herself into the boyfriend's workout in like really <laughs> inappropriate ways, <laughs> like, which was one of the most fun scenes I think that we've was, ever made. Really and, um, so, so that, so that family unit, um, we played that for a couple of years mm-hmm. and Tom had sort of said, well, we've got this, this core of, of family members what would the last stop on that trip be if we were to design the place where we could not only give mom everything she really wants or at least explore what that means but what if we were to find that place that could actually do that for every family member and we started to really delve into like well what are the other characters longing for what are what are they grappling for because in roadside attraction it was a 40 minute piece and they were sort of supporting characters that could kind of provide the narrative to support what mom was experiencing. But but he kind of had this idea of like, well, why don't we make the last stop on that road trip? And over the years, I mean, we, we worked on it for like two and a half years. First we thought, we didn't really know what that world would be, but we were like, well, is it this sort of supernatural campground that they land at? Mm. Or is it like a, an amusement park? Is it... Where, where is that place that suddenly everything that they're all grappling with is going to come to a head? And maybe they're either going to face whatever that is and change, or maybe they're not. And over the years, I think we had a lot of different ideas about what that would mean. And maybe one of the family members would stay. Maybe they would all leave together. Maybe that would unify them as a family. Maybe it would break them all apart. But either way, we knew that each family member could have a really fascinating journey if we just built the place and then decided what that journey wanted to be. So, Lizzie, do you want to talk about things? I'm talking too much. No, <laughs> like, you're, you're saying all the right things. I'm just I'm following along. I mean, I, oh. I, I, I was thinking about how Tom, um, even before Roadside, was was playing with his ideas of of place and, and of, of like the, the Kissing the Gunner's Daughter mm-hmm. projects where he was making installations about um, having to do with water and, and family history and um, very, very much based in Florida, which in St. Augustine is where he's from and mm-hmm. um, home of the Fountain of Youth. And so those ideas were really bubbling up for him, I mean, going back to like 2010, 2011. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, a lot of a lot of the bits and pieces that went into this piece were were in the works some longer than that she fell has been around. I feel like there's a lot of other works too where he he's looked at his history and and Florida as a place. Um, also, he just has a wealth of amazing stories that yeah. I feel like <laughs> layered all of those things. But this idea of a place that um, that promises something, but then not quite knowing if it if it's really promising reality or if it's promising what you wish for it to promise mm-hmm. and like what mm-hmm. does that mean and mm-hmm. um, right what what's artificial and what's real when that this is sort of the idea of the amusement park was like what if you had an amusement park that that celebrated the fountain of youth it, it, that feels a little bit like um, you know paving over the actual paradise and building something completely artificial uh, and sort of taking over a natural wonder to make money off of it and to profit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, those ideas kind of got folded in very American. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. uh, and 
sort of all, all got put into the pot. Excellent. So then, so all this stuff is being developed um, and roadside attractions being performed and evolving over a long period of time. So then what's the next step after that? Well, I think Tom had started by that point working. Um, he was really, he had so many visions of like what this place could be and, and had these really um, strong ideas about some of the different characters that were there and, and there's sort of a mythological aspect to them and you know he was really delving into figuring out who the denizens of this world would be like what were, what were they and what did they represent and what did they represent for the different family members mm-hmm. um, so he was sort of exploring the, the character and also the, the idea of, of place mm-hmm. and uh, there was still a lot of flexibility at that time of like we're not really quite sure what that place might be, um, but figuring out the qualities of the place that were really important, and um, I think that's kind of where we, we landed when we were around House 17. We had a chance to to workshop the piece um, on Governor's Island, mm-hmm. and we had a, a space. So we had Roadside Attraction was also rehearsing at the same time, and do it. we did some public performances on the island, but we had a chance to kind of explore different characters and start to think about like these pockets of what some of the spaces might look like and we we used like you know corners of rooms to kind of explore like well what might you know Midas's room look like and what are some of the installation components of that and and I feel like that was like another step where some mm-hmm. of those things stayed with the show some of those things kind of manifested and turned into something else um, but in the same way, then she fell, had all these iterations and certain things landed, or sometimes material for one character ended up really working for another. Mm-hmm. We, were, we had this really great chance to mock up sort of some ideas and to sort of throw them out there. And in, in House 17, we only had one family member. Uh, we just had a much smaller cast, and it was a showing, and we only used Mom as the only character that we wanted to sort of explore we were more focused really on understanding the the people and the characters of the world and what that world was and and also then we we were kind of inspired by house 17 itself like by the the actual physical house Mm -hmm. that we because we can't sometimes i wish we could just kind of mock up things in various spaces and not use the space but that's just kind of who we are that we are in that space and and all of that kind of puts a patina mm-hmm. on yeah. what you're doing and that particular house was a um was a captain's, captain's house, yeah. house and one of the first things we noticed was this sense of the house that is for the family and the house that is for the servants mm-hmm. and this sort of like two sides like two staircases mm-hmm. there's a front entrance and a back entrance felt very separate yeah, so that I think that kind of put a layer on things that we were playing with. Um, we we I think we workshopped a lot of scenes that it kind of came out like the transformation scene came back, and and it was a great chance for Tom to explore some of these um, hustler scenes mm-hmm. where we wanted he you know, he had these wonderful ideas of like well what are the what are the ways like we've and then she fell really explored. And learned a lot about earning the audience mm-hmm. and how to what what are the steps that you have to go through to be allowed to ask an audience member a question we, we talk a lot mm-hmm. about this concept of earning the audience um, because we, we take it really seriously but also like through 
through making a lot of the then she fell scenes, we realized that you know if you're going to ask a, an audience about something that's personal, like love, or or you know something that's going to take them back into memory, you can't take that lightly. Mm-hmm. You have to really um, think about that because for them to actually answer honestly, you have to give them something. Mm-hmm. So in Then She Fell, we, we, you know, either you're in an inner sanctum with that performer or you see something highly personal and intimate mm-hmm. prior to that. But like, that's part of the craft that we think about in, in our scenes so that we don't just get to do anything with audience, you know, mm-hmm. you have to really, you know, take that seriously. So he wanted to play with ideas of like, well, well, how, how far can we really listen to audience and take them on a journey? And what is that sort of... What are the parameters that we can explore in that? So I think that House 17 was a great chance to think about some of the experiences that we placed into Grand Paradise that, that kind of go a little bit further than any place we've ever gone before mm-hmm. when dealing with intimacy or mortality. Um, just asking questions that are, are kind of heavy but framed in a way that's not necessarily heavy. Mm-hmm. But like, how can we get there, mm-hmm. and how do we get the permission to do it? Mm-hmm. And so, I think House Seventeen was a great chance to just, through the repetition of those scenes, really find out if it was possible or not. Um, so, I think. I don't know, do you have any thoughts on? Um, <clears throat> yeah, we we really spent that time uh, playing with new ways of moving audience. Mm-hmm. Because we had been in the world of the she fell for so long, which right. is a very specific way, um, and and then roadside attraction really wasn't immersive, right? Right. So it sort of wasn't part of that experience at all. Um, but having this house that had really its own personality and its own maze-like quality without us having to do anything with that um, was really fascinating and, and really. <laughs> Um, I think let us try a bunch of new things and, and see what stuck. Uh-huh. Um, in terms of moving audience in new ways, because, I mean, it's very true that, I mean, Then She Fell is very much, um, like, each audience member is almost choreographed, you know, into their mm-hmm. own particular little dance or movement mm-hmm. through the space. Um, I mean, you can sort of, it's like on the opposite end of the spectrum, something like um, Sleep No More, which is, you know, you walk in the space and you have no idea what to do right. at all. It's totally freeform. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it that um, that led you to think about moving away from this sort of on the rails experience for audience members into new ways of negotiating space and audience members? I think there were a couple places where we we I think at Grace Plaza we had another residency where we were creating. Um, these two pieces called yoke with Mm -hmm. these 70s egg chairs which also kind of have a part of the grand paradise everything for those years kind of has a way in where we were exploring one part or one a couple of different components and really um, isolating them so when we were there we started to think about how if we were thinking about this place there are certain scenes where you kind of need more audience. You need more people. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a nightclub type scene and you want to have this feeling of a crowded bar, but you want something intimate to unfold within it, somehow having that setup where you have a lot of people, but there is something that's happening, 
which you might catch or you might not, but it's just not so much so presented. Mm -hmm. Uh, I say that in quotes because it feels like if that intimacy unfolds for five people, it feels very different than if it's unfolding and there's 20 people all around that are just kind of dancing. Mm-hmm. And then this this sort of intimate interaction is happening. So we started to think about, well, if you want to create an environment where there, sh- there would naturally be more people, we need to have more audience for some scenes, but then still figure out a way to have them have those intimate groupings where you could have just one or two people sometimes or five, like figuring out how many audience within a scene really is integral to making that scene work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where Grand Paradise, we started to really explore things in a really different way. Mm-hmm. Then she fell as so guided and it's kind of this abandoned hospital feeling. So being solitary feels really right. Mm-hmm. In certain scenes in the Grand Paradise, being solitary feels like you shouldn't be there and you shouldn't be seeing something. Whereas if you're in a group of 20 people and you're all dancing around and there's something extremely important going down that you aren't supposed to watch, but you can't help watch, mm-hmm. you can do it when there's those other 20 people around. Mm-hmm. So we, we started to kind of play around with that. And um, there's this element of our site-specific work that is kind of a big part of Grand Paradise where there's a, an operating bar in the space and that was kind of like as that started to come together we were like wow ooh, how do we do that how do we make all these scenes we've made in the bar work when all these people are trying to get drinks in the bar <laughs> and so the, you know the, I sat in the in the bar for one of our shows and just watched and I was like this is amazing because it's just <laughs> like when we're in the World Financial Center and we're just landing in a public space and the audience is doing their thing and people are walking through to get their lunch or they're sitting on their bench and checking their phone and here's this thing happening. And they might watch or they might walk away or they might watch and look at something else and then check back in a few times and then see that it's actually evolving. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what happens in some of the sections of the Grand Paradise where you have a little bit more freedom as an audience to move around. Mm -hmm. You're getting to choose what you want to watch, but at the same time, things are able to unfold in a less like presentational way. Mm -hmm. Like in the bar, for example, the, the boyfriend walked in and it was kind of one of his first interactions where you see this hustler kind of come on to him and start to play around with him and the bar was very crowded and at first you know boyfriends got up there to get a drink and and if you happen to be really close you might notice what was going on and like maybe the people that were on either end of them started to take a look at this kind of altercation that was starting to build with them and then like three more people started to take notice Mm -hmm. while a lot of other people were still talking and and actually like just getting their drinks and completely oblivious to what was going down (laughs) and then at some point they started to full-on brawl which is amazing it's just really great choreographed fight that's really exciting and the boyfriend gets thrown on the ground and, and it's kind of a little bit of a play fight. Like they're kind of, you know, it's not violent. It's more like a testing the waters and, and toying around with each other. Right. And this woman turns in that moment, she'd been talking to her friends. It was her birthday and she just was <laughs> talking to her friends. She turns and she's like, oh my God, I wish every single fight looked like this. <laughs> <laughs> and so from that moment, everybody in the bar was watching the scene. Right, and it was right. really amazing to me to see how like, we started to fold people in in this really organic way mm-hmm. into the story rather than saying, here's the story and you have to watch it. 
they were able to kind of come to it and sort of see it unfold around them while also, you know, having a chance to kind of be themselves in the world because they're a part of the world. It's a resort. It, they're, they're part of the bar landscape. Um, they're, they're, we're playing a lot with the lines of like, what is the audience's role in this world and what are they allowed to do and what are they not allowed to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so having those moments of freedom within the world are really important to establish that. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that they're there to watch something else. They're there to bring themselves into it too. And there's a space for them. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think um, I. it's funny talking to people who... Um, who haven't seen Then She Fell and Who've Seen The Grand Paradise and people who have seen Then She Fell and See The Grand Paradise. And I find the reactions to be to be very different. I mean, people I know who've seen Sleep No More um, and go to see The Grand Paradise, there's a, I think there's a kind of delight in the moments where you realize you are... Um, that at any given moment, there's something to focus on. That at any given moment, there's a place to go. And that there are moments when you know exact where you're invited somewhere, um, and those moments are very clear. And that and those movements between those different um, ways of being in the space can be very delightful for folks who, um, who suffer some form of anxiety during sleep no more. <laughs> um, <laughs> FOMO. <laughs> FOMO. Man, I feel like that's some sort of, it's like the, it's like the weird watchword of immersive theater. <laughs> right. It is. Um, all right, let's go back. I want to talk more about that, but let's go back mm-hmm. to, um, let's go back to House 17. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, um, that uh, performance experiment um, resolves itself, and then what's the next step? Well, there was grand, um, uh, genuine plastic reliquaries. Mm-hmm. Um, where Thank we... you for teaching me that word, by the way. Reliquaries. I can't even say that really word very well. I, I try to say that, that title fast, and it never <laughs> works. I have to really like take my time yeah. with every word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah. We d- we use a lot of acronyms in in TRP, so so <laughs> GPR is just yeah. the easier way to <laughs> refer to that one. Um, uh, so we got another. Uh, amazing opportunity with Arts Brookfield mm-hmm. to create environments and installations and uh, live performance in some of their spaces in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So um, what this one entailed was uh, three different buildings uh, over four weeks, mm-hmm. correct? Where uh, one week um, for two days straight, I believe, Um, there was this installation uh, was put up and then uh, there was a performance and then the next week uh, I think it was Thursday or Friday so during the work work day so that people who were working in these buildings these were Grace Plaza um, on 42nd Street and um, One Year Plaza Plaza, and what was that third building just north of uh, Grand Central I can't remember what it was called it has a special New York building name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so these are lobbies of, of big um, uh, business buildings where um, people come and go. And the same, what Jim was talking about, where people are going out for their lunch and then they're happening upon this mm-hmm. installation that's sort of outside of their world and, um, and these performances. So those happened three weeks in a row. And then um, 
I guess it was three weeks because at the end of the third week, yeah, we brought them all, we brought them all together. together at one yeah. year plaza. And so there was one day where um, all three pieces were, um, were live. Um, so those were a remounting of Yolk, which Janine mentioned the before, and, mm -hmm. and uh, a piece called Sign of the Times. <laughs> Welcome to Brooklyn. Yeah, we got some New York action <laughs> <Yeah>. going on <laughs> <out> here. <laughs> um, a piece called Sign of the Times uh, that was sort of an ex exploration of a 70s couple on vacation. Mm -hmm. um, With the signs that are now part of the Grand Paradise. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, the, the motel signs, mm -hmm. the no vacancy, and... Or were they yeah. two singles who met on vacation? It could have been, actually. So ways to, yeah. That was my feeling. It felt like this like escalating yeah. flirtation. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it, it had a wonderful little arc to it. When I, I saw the sort of I saw the when all the pieces were brought together on that oh, last uh, Friday or Saturday. Oh, yeah, Saturday. Yeah, they they were all about fifteen to twenty minutes each, oh, yeah, and they each had their very own. Uh, arc to them mm -hmm. and their very own soundscape and, and sort of feel and they were all sort of in the world of, of this late 1970s um, thing that we were playing with and then the third piece was Pizza Queen <laughs> where, where I got to play with a lot of the uh, transformation ideas that uh, Zach and, and Tom and Janine had been throwing around for some time yeah. <laughs> and that was a lot of fun yeah that I, was kind I of I keep crossing my fingers that I'll come back someday I yeah I think um yeah, Pizza Queen was a great way of exploring kind of Lizzie's character as the this sort of siren in the world, and but but the way that it started in Pizza Queen was that she worked in Pizza Hut, and like <laughs> we made the booth, and it was like the Pizza Hut booth, but then it just uh, sort it of transformed. It was a friendlies. It was, yeah, it was a diner. Was. I think yeah. it, was it was a friendlies. It was. I mean, we did use an actual vintage a, Pizza Hut outfit. Yeah. Which we, yeah. our costume designer then, because we didn't want to deal with any copyright infringement, she cut individually all of the Pizza Hut um, logos out of the dress and replaced them with a different fabric, <laughs> which was amazing. <laughs> um, so I got to wear that that piece that that dress, but um, but there were three incredible layers that I got mm -hmm. to peel off during the this fantasy mm -hmm. that this um, this diner waitress goes through. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, that was just a lot of fun. It was great, and, and and also sort of exploring. Tom had a great chance to explore some of his awesome ideas of costume, that would kind of come into the Grand Paradise. It was a way to really sort of establish some of these really key costume ideas. Mm -hmm. um, we we were really great at accumulating. We we sort of you know uh, we accumulate all these different components of a project, and some of these really key pieces like the yoke costumes too, or sort of these Halston. Uh, jumpsuits, one that's silver and one that's gold, and we a lot of the movement from Yoke is a big part of the Grand Paradise, mm -hmm. and it's movement that Tom had worked on for years, mm. and that kind of was this beautiful meditative uh, phrases and, and things that have been honed for a really long time mm -hmm. that then kind of became a part of the bigger piece. So, yeah. Yeah, so those bits and pieces um, came together, and then that was really... Once that piece wrapped, it was go time for just creating the Grand Paradise, and we went into rehearsals pretty regularly from then on. Yeah. And was was it always the goal to take all of these pieces together and make the place they were getting, or, or did it sort of take shape once the idea of let's make the place they get to came up? I 
think it's well. I think it's once we had the idea of let's make the place they get to. Um, are we allowed to talk about the original name of the piece? I, I think I so. Well, so a for a while, well, we well, it was out there. It was out there for the yeah, time. And, and we so, and we it was public for a while. Yeah. Sure. So we we originally called this the the end of the world, and that the, it was roadside attraction at the end of the world was where we were kind of playing with, and and the end of the world thing came from this picture, the little sign at the very bottom of Key West, where like that's the end of the world, yeah. and like so that that was kind of this working title that we said for a long time, and we used that in House Seventeen, but then felt that the title was a little bit weighted and started to go a little bit. I think House 17 was a great opportunity when we put things together. We didn't have all the characters together, but we had this kind of like cross-section of them mm-hmm. where we started to see where we were taking people thematically. And we would bring audiences in. Um, it was a free showing, but we had we had a number of shows. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, we would just talk to everybody mm-hmm. who had been there and say like, well, what are the things that were popping out to you? What do you feel like the key themes are? Mm-hmm. Where is this taking you? So we were really able to gauge like, well... I want, to be part of one of the, I want to be part of one of these focus groups yeah, so badly. Yeah, totally oh, have to. My God. All right, well, that Next shall time. happen. <laughs> that shall happen. So, um, so we, we started to realize we were getting a little bit into, um, into some themes that we weren't necessarily sure were, were where we wanted to go, but we, mm-hmm. it was just great to really get a sense of what people were grabbing onto. Mm-hmm. And, and then to also like say, well, okay, that I can totally see that and we can see where this is what things are resonating. It was just a really great opportunity to understand what was really resonating and what things were working really well and yeah. what things weren't quite coming through. I, lo- I love this, but I, I love I love that transition. Like, I love this the way I love um, that the group was originally called Third, Third Rail Dance. Mm-hmm. It's like this, this evolution and refocusing and seeing which way you want to go. Mm-hmm. But there's also a layering involved. So it's mm-hmm. like... It's like these ideas um, and origins don't evaporate or go away. They're built into the piece on this deeper mm-hmm. level that still resonates. And uh, I just, I, I love this sort of thing. Mm. I feel like each of these little projects and these pockets have like a different um, point behind them. Yeah, you know, like there was a residency where Tom and Zach took the roadside family upstate. I wasn't there as part of that. And they just focused on exploring the whole family. Hmm. Um, and different ways to influence them. And then we kind of went deeper into like really analyzing those characters. Because at that time, Tom was like, why don't, what if those characters are the status quo and the audience is aligned with them? Mm-hmm. So instead of bringing the audience into a world where every character in the world is of another place, mm-hmm. what if we, we give the audience in this weird sense avatars in the way that he had suggested Lizzie is is mom's avatar. Mm -hmm. What if you're seeing the world and you're aligned with these characters Mm -hmm. and you're the same in that world. You're both guests of this place. And there's, there's a way, I mean, when I, and I'll I'll only talk about the very, uh, the very beginning and just tell me to Mm -hmm. give me a break. (laughs) Um, But uh, when you first get to the grand paradise, and I was thinking about this before, about how um, when people talk about places where immersive theater pieces take place, um, like when we were meeting here, you say, yeah, well, let's meet at, let's meet at the ward, let's meet at Kingsland Ward. Ward. You don't say, let's meet at the theater. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Sleep No More begins the moment you think you're going to the McKittrick Hotel. Right. That's when that piece yeah. begins. Um, and in this place, you're, 
you're brought in and it's like you're in a, uh, an airport and you're given a boarding pass and there's a transition into the space and there's, and you're sort of want, and when you go into the space, sort of wandering around and things are sort of going on in an ambient way. Um, and there's this wonderful repetitive music thing that happens that, um, I don't know, it's worth transporting and grounding. Um, and then the family comes in. And at least for me, when the family came in, um, it, it, it gave, it, it helped me know how to look at things. It helped me know what role I was playing, you know? Okay, so I'm, I'm like this family. We're on vacation. They get the lay. I get the lay. Great. Mm -hmm. It was a very... You're aligned. It was a very... Yeah, exactly. We were aligned with these, with this family. And also it helped to know that it's important what their journey is, you know? Mm -hmm. And that their journey in some way will mirror our journey in some way. Yeah. Early on, you know, I think we, um, and this is interesting to, to think about because this was a really enlightening moment of, um, with the family, we, we had played around early on and we, we, it was first one of the biggest changes I think we've ever made in a process was we had kind of had a very different beginning to the piece mm. and, um, and it really was at a test audience that we completely took out a whole section of a piece and sort of by mistake. It was by mistake, but... Um, and this was in December, so this was very far into the, into the process. So we had gotten a little bit, um, a little bit, you know, because I think the Roadside family had a backstory, even though no, we never really gave much of a backstory, but, mm -hmm. but we sort of had a lot more exposition that we were playing around with for the family members to understand, to really make sure the audience understood the family members. And... Without really realizing it, I think we had set everybody up to really care about the backstory of the family members a lot. Uh -huh. But then, being us, we didn't really, we want the audience to have something about the family that they can resonate or relate to, mm -hmm. but not necessarily so much that they stop being themselves yeah. and yeah. seeing the world maybe through that character's eyes, but relating it to their own world. Mm -hmm. So without really knowing it, I think we were kind of putting a little bit too much exposition and expectation, and some of our test audiences were getting very locked into these these characters. They wanted to know what color mom's kitchen was, and they wanted to understand what was going on between mom and dad. And, right. and meanwhile, we were like, well, that's really not really important. It's really about you, the <laughs> right, audience. Right, this right. is what's really important. So we had a night where we had two test audiences, and we did half the show for one and the other half the show for the other mm -hmm. because we really wanted to get some of these transitions to be really solid and and we really wanted to have a little bit of time to stop and start and really try to get these things to be more smooth mm -hmm. and after the second show we started with the song with with um no and there was just this moment of like this feels like a third this feels like us this there's something that just happened and now I'm in this really amazing liminal space. And why, why, why was I having such a hard time getting into this liminal space? Yeah. And the audience reaction that night was really palpable, that second show. And people, when we asked for responses, it was just like things were pouring out. And it's like, you know how like people are like, oh my God, you, you get it. You get what we're yeah, trying to yeah, do. Yeah. Oh my God. And it was, it was like a really amazing moment of saying, wow. And Tom kind of came and he's like, well, you know what we need to do. And I was like, really? Okay, we're gonna do that. We're gonna just, we're gonna, we're gonna just kind of take a whole chunk and, and yeah, and say goodbye to it. It was really great, but it it was I think a really great moment in, in the creation of the work of mm -hmm. understanding just how important it is 
to be very conscious of that space for audience to I think that's, a, that's a great choice. I mean, in, in, in all storytelling and certainly in dramatic writing, um, there's that balance you have to hit between like giving someone the full psychology and giving them nothing. And depending on the kind of story you're telling mm-hmm. and where you want the audience to be, there's like this slide in there. I mean, mm-hmm. I can I can imagine in in an equivalent might be like in Then She Fell when you come in and you see Alice and you follow her and you got her and the cats follow you know she's done the well and then and then you're in Then She Fell and that would never work, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a really strong choice. I'm glad you made that choice. Yeah, it was it was really I learned a lot. I learned so much about yeah. storytelling in that in the that moment of like realization and and just yeah understanding exactly like uh, the intention had always really been um, and this kind of can lead into when we talk about the the volition and the agency that's kind of built into Grand Paradise that we don't have and then she fell but the kind of reason behind it was we we kind of had always imagined that you know when you encounter the family, there's going to be a member of it that you're going to kind of identify with. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing I'm still trying to figure out, and it's going to be like years before I think I put my, my, I have something to really say about it. At that time, we thought that if you, like I always assume I I identify with mom because I'm a mom Mm -hmm. and, and I'm, you know, okay, well, I'm really kind of far from like being in the suburbs, and well, no, I don't know, but I, but I, there's just something about mom with the two kids, and like that that's the character that I'm going to somehow identify with, because the things that she longs for might be something that I might long for, you know, and and in the same way that if you're young, um, you know, a young guy, you might identify with the boyfriend mm-hmm. in this, or you know, if you might identify with the older daughter, we kind of we're playing with like well is the audience going to maybe start to develop an interest and an alignment with the character? Mm-hmm. And can they sort of choose the character? Because in Then She Fell, you, you don't really... It's very curated. And mm-hmm. you do see the world through a lens of some of the characters, mm-hmm. more than others, but that's not something you get to self-select. It's mm-hmm. something that is just a part of your journey. We were wondering, well, could we let the audience kind of self-select a little bit? And then be able to route their journey in a way that would be even more meaningful. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure now when I watch if people follow the person they identify with most mm-hmm. or in sometimes they if they follow the opposite. And that's the thing I'm kind of like mm-hmm. fascinated mm-hmm. by. Like sometimes I think that, I don't know, there isn't really like necessarily a formula for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that those moments of volition, there's so much to see and to explore and some people find themselves kind of confused in that moment and I think they like to stay in one place and let things come to them which mm-hmm. is a really interesting way of, of exploring without having to go anywhere but letting it come to you mm-hmm. other people I think really want to explore the space and they sort of find a way to kind of move in all different directions mm-hmm. so I don't think that they necessarily in that moment are always looking for a family member to identify with, I don't. I don't know. Well, you, you should talk about that, Lizzie, because you're inside of it. And <clears throat> well, I'm not sure that I have a, a better perspective because being inside of it, it's I think even harder to see what the audience is doing or what they're what they're following. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there's a little bit of a sense of maybe letting people think that they have a choice about where to go, where in fact they don't. 
<laughs> and this is not for the entire show, but there's certainly some sections where we actually do lead audience, but it's a little bit more like an invisible hurting. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we've, that Third Rail's worked on for a long time, mm-hmm. tactics of, of how to do that. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I have a moment where, where that is what I do. I, I basically like circle a room and move the people who are inside the room in a certain direction mm-hmm. without them really knowing that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Which, which is nice because it makes them feel like, oh, well, I guess I'm going this way. And they feel yeah. like they're making a choice. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different... Mo- making a crazy sound. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's the heater. Yeah, well, I mean, the first, the first time I saw it, I, um, I, well, to be honest, I, wow, that is a rude sound. Yeah, it's <laughs> strange. That, that's the, the, the radiator. The radiator is on fire, always. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my, I should take my phone off. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um... The first time I saw it, I well, I mean, I'd gotten this this advice that I, I really, really wish I hadn't I hadn't gotten, um, and uh, and I followed the advice about for about I don't know for half of it, um, and and I regret that because it sort of gave my evening a vector that I didn't want to have. But I also saw a slightly odd show, if you'll remember. Oh, yeah. right. Um, that said, but it didn't seem odd to mm-hmm. me. Um, I think it, yeah. But. I, I don't know. I never got the impulse to follow a character, except when I felt like I I felt like I was lost, and that feeling that we were talking about that that fear of missing out feeling that I mean for me I I've never really clicked with um, Sleep No More. I've never really I mean I I respect the design and the movement and all the stuff and like I I, I enjoyed my time there but it didn't really click for me, partially because of that. It didn't feel like like the like the yearning or the wondering where I was or the finding myself in a space where nothing was happening had a reason to exist. Mm-hmm. It just felt like a, a consequence of the design as opposed to a design element. And I don't know if that's if that's true. Um, and then also the way that the sort of yearning for one on ones work in Sleep No More also never quite clicked for me because again it didn't feel like it was. I didn't understand how it worked with what the sh- with the themes of the show. In the Grand Paradise, when I'd have those feelings, it felt very right. I mean, it made me think about the vacations I took when I was a kid, being in, in summer camp and um, being like a fairly introverted kid who hadn't quite found my little crew of other little introverted kids <laughs> yet. And, um, and looking at and like seeing the pretty kids and what the pretty kids are doing and... Um, and wanting to be part of this world and not knowing how to be part of this world. And it felt so in line with, with where I was that even though um, it was unsettling at times, um, it didn't feel wrong to me, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the thematics evolve and things sort of change and new things happen, it all just sort of felt very, um, very aligned. Um, I've just been talking for a bit. <laughs> um, uh, um, let's uh, oh, let's just keep bouncing around. Um, so let's talk about that that agency because there is a lot more agency in this, um, and you clearly have. So how did that? What were the reasons for that for you? I I think the the idea of being able to let 
the audience explore more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we sometimes have, um, there's like the two sides to everything. Sometimes we'll hear people say, well, and then she fell, they just wish they had a little bit more agency mm. to choose where they were going. And even though we worked really hard on making the journey through then she fell, like Lizzie was saying, feel volitional. It's more about like when a door is open to you and you choose to walk through it, even though the door is being open to you and it's really an invitation, uh-huh. if you just open it and the audience walks through it, they're making a choice. Yeah. You're kind well, of making the choice for them, yeah. but it feels different. Well, I, I mean, when, when the first time I saw Then She Fell, the first, the first question that was asked of me was, the white queen says, would you like a cup of tea or something like that? It's like, who, I mean, look, I mean, do you say no to that? You don't say no to that. You have a cup of tea with her. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember in that moment, because I was with another audience member, I remember, and this is probably some quirk of my own, where, like, I really wanted to think about it. Like, do, do I really want, to, like, do I actually want mm. it? Do I really what want it? say no? Right. And then, and then, of course, I was like, what if I just say no and walk the other way? What, what could possibly happen? And then the other audience member just said yes, like with no. And I felt quite, I'm like, well, I had thought about it. I don't know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember if anybody had ever told me no yeah, to that I can't question. Imagine. I don't think anybody has ever said no. I'll have to ask some of the other white things. Like, well, usually at least one of the two will be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then before they yeah. know it, you're just moving. Yeah, like and we then... just keep going. Like we're already going there and there's no, there isn't really time to, to, to uh, think about it. And then the, the white queen doesn't actually give you the tea anyways. You have to yeah. wait a while. Somebody else is going to come. Let's, um, let's go back to talking about the family members and their mm-hmm. stories. Um, so each, each family member has a story. It's impossible for any one audience member in any one evening to see the entire story of every character. It's likely that they're not going to see the entire story of any one character. True. Um, Was, did you have an expectation um, that people would follow characters and try and suss out um, the arc that they go through? I think we we maybe thought that very strongly at the beginning and then Mm -hmm. sort of as we developed it and understood what people do in this space we sort of thought less and less I think that some people do and then Mm -hmm. some people just sort of end up where they end up yeah Mm -hmm. people come to these things with such different training and expectations you know Mm -hmm. I think when we were crafting it and talking about it you know in terms of the storytelling there's there's so many discussions and so much thought behind the way that everything's stacked for the journey for each character. Mm -hmm. There's so much thought behind it. But then what I realized as we started to watch the show, because sometimes when you're making something, you don't really know until you're actually in it what it it is. Yeah, absolutely. Especially this. And until you have the audience there, you really have no idea what it is. And early on in our test audiences, during those moments of agency, I happened to find my own journey being different. And then when I got to to sort of another part of the show is like, oh, I haven't seen any of these three things. So if I pretend that I don't even know what they are and that I'm not me, now how am I perceiving what I'm seeing? Mm -hmm. Because I don't have all these other things Mm -hmm. behind me. And how does this new story stack? Mm -hmm. So I think that was a big realization in, in crafting. You know, some of our shows we craft the experience and we curate it so carefully mm-hmm. and like this is true of the show I'm working on in Chicago too that's about public education mm-hmm. that the 
you know, there's so many diagrams and so much writing of like if each every one of those 40 audience members we look at what their journey will be mm-hmm. to see the balance because we want to really think about thematically the balance of that person's journey we don't want somebody to go through the whole thing being bullied the whole day because that would be a really rough show right, right. but we want everybody to see a lot of the different issues uh, so we'll pay a lot of money balance. for that. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a lot of things, so we really had to think about that, and I think that's, Then She Fell is another place where it's so so curated. Every journey mm-hmm. is really thought about to make sure that you're walking away, no matter what you see, with a, a, a satisfied feeling, mm-hmm. that you feel like you, even though you didn't see what your friend saw that you came with, you both still walk away feeling like you didn't miss anything, mm-hmm. that everything you saw was complete right. in some way. And so... In Grand Paradise, I think that this was big learning realization of like, well, okay, by putting in these these little pockets, and they're really not that long mm-hmm. when you look at the whole, but they feel they're very powerful in what they are. Mm-hmm. These two pockets of freedom mean that we can't curate, mm-hmm. and we have little less control. Mm-hmm. And like, what does that mean? And for a while, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to let go of that control. <laughs> And like, mm-hmm. is that working? And I think Tom and Zach felt very much thing. We're like, well, is this working? I think it is working. I think this is just a really different way of perceiving the way that things go. And what does that mean? And, and how do we understand it ourselves? Yeah. Um, and I think it, I think it, um, I think it also makes, makes sense because it, like, this is an environment, you know? Like, if Then She Fell is clearly a, a journey for the audience members about a journey, you know? Like, it makes sense that that... How it rolls, where this mm. is a, it's an environment that you really need to feel like. I mean, I think one of the reasons why it never really occurred to me to follow one character really, um, I don't know. I wanted, I wanted to explore the space, sure. you know. And and the second time I saw it, I really tried. I tried, I tried. First, I tried to follow. I think the elder daughter, mm. and then, well, then at one point, I just started started to feel a little creepy. So I'm like, I, <laughs> and then I started to feel follow the father because I, I think that was when I identified with mm-hmm. um, not that I'm a father but I think the the issues he was going through I identified with and even then and and that helped me find different you know experiences in the space but it really was the space to mm-hmm. me that is the the um, the thing that produces that I enjoy mm-hmm. you know and that I feel like I'm in you know I'm just and it's like when you go it's like you know how you're you're at a, I don't know you're on a ship or on a resort or at, at summer camp or or even if you had like an amusement park and there's like those two or three people you keep seeing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind of like that mm-hmm. experience. Did, did you feel, I know I'm not supposed to be the one asking questions, but did you feel like you had an alliance with the other audience members in that experience? Like, how I, I, I ask this because I've heard of, and I've seen in Then She Fell in particular, that the people who are grouped together in certain scenes tend to develop a relationship with each other uh-huh. um, or a, a way just a way of of working together mm-hmm. in those scenes and it's really fascinating to watch um, it's harder to see in, in The Grand Paradise I think because it's a bigger audience mm-hmm. and because my role doesn't spend that kind of time with people mm-hmm. but I'm curious if you as an audience member felt that like you said you would see the same people did yeah, you like yeah. see people experience something and then see them um, differently afterwards or the first time I saw the show I was waiting in line and there was this couple behind me and they were having an argument and I mean an argument like 
Um, I am going to leave. I don't know if I want to be here with you. And then told the story of this thing that happened at a bar before they came where the guy almost got into a fight. And I realized he was drunk. I almost said something to the person. I'm like, I think this guy, I'm not sure if you want to let this guy in. Um, but then she sort of calmed him down a little bit. And they're like, okay, we're going to go. And then when we're in the waiting room, I realized they're married. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I kept, and th that was the couple I kept running into. And the whole night, I don't know. It was, it, it was strange because somehow these were the people I was like, I don't know, karmically aligned with throughout the evening. <laughs> right. um, and he was sort of like, like this most of the time. His hat was pulled really low. Um, sorry, I crossed my arms in a tense fashion for the yeah. attention to see what I'm doing. Um, and I kept him through the whole evening. And then I ended up with them in the last scene. Um, the, you know, and, uh, and their energy had shifted so much and I didn't see when or how it happened. I didn't mm. see a transition more, it's more like a light switch. So I'm not sure what happened when, um, Something happened. yeah, I'm not sure if I was aligned with them, but I, it, it was really fascinating to see them go from this, like him and especially this drunk distanced place to this much more relaxed, you know, like listening to this listening to this what they were listening to and um and it was kind of that was kind of lovely yeah that's cool i i wonder um one of the things i'm i'd like to hear you talk about too is the there's a part of in the beginning of the grand paradise you could look at it as oh okay i'm really in this resort like this is where i am and mm -hmm. you know we're gonna see some you know sexy dancing or have some drinks listen to some songs it'll be great um, but there are things that happen that, that, that test that. And depending on what you experience and where you go, they may test it lightly or they may destroy it completely. Um, and it seems like there's a pretty clear shift. And for the people I know who've seen it, um, some of them love that shift. Some of them don't even drop in until they get to that shift. Whereas um, some people I know did not like that shift. And they, and they wanted it to be a resort. They were like, you know, I wish, I wish it was more fun. I would have liked to just have fun. Um, and I wonder, I'd like to hear some about the, the crafting of the development of the theme and that sort of the moves that happen without revealing too much. Mm -hmm. Well, there, you know, the, the first of all, I want to go back for a second because when yeah. you said about the, the family, you know, when, when you were talking about when you go on vacation, mm -hmm. It's so true that to me, the family in this, it's like when you do go on vacation and there is that family you keep running into mm -hmm. and like they're next to you at dinner and then you yeah. end up by them on the beach and like you just start to identify during your week at the resort. Yeah. That group, that's what I feel like the family in the cast is yeah. like, it's really hard to follow just one of them. And even when I'm trying to necessarily audit a performer, it's, it's not really the best experience. The idea is that it's you just kind of keep bumping into them. Yeah. And each time you bump into them, it's something kind of interesting that's giving you a little bit of a piece of information yeah. about what's going on, but that it's not really about necessarily trying to delve too deep. Mm -hmm. But it's like the, that sort of sense of like how you do, you do have this, um, these encounters that start to unfold your own sort of preconceived ideas about a family, even though you never yeah. met them and you'll probably never even exchange names in the course of your journey. So there's something kind of... Um, magical about how that that works out um, there is a, a place where you know there there's an undercurrent in the whole show I'm not sure if everyone feels it it's from the very beginning mm -hmm. there's an undercurrent of something that is 
below the surface, mm-hmm. that, that here is this place. And I think that does even go back to the fountain of youth and the concept of the artifice mm-hmm. that's over top of something that's a source underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's questions that are, are out there. It's dependent upon whether or not you, you sense them. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a, a crossover place where we do start to to swell into like this is fun and games resort world, mm-hmm. and then we start to turn and pull the curtain back mm-hmm. <laughs> and see what's really going on underneath. Mm-hmm. I think that I can, I can I guess I could understand how that might be a an unexpected shift if you're not familiar with Third Rail's work. Yes, so I, I, <laughs> but, I will say that but pe- people, the people who are familiar, I've, I think... The people I've gotten that reaction mm-hmm. from have not seen Then She Fell. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And some of, and actually, I mean, the, the, the strongest reactions in that direction are people I know who, who don't frequent um, movement-based works or mm-hmm. uh, really any sort of weirdo weirdo I keep using the word I, I, I say weirdo <laughs> deeply affectionately all right? I'm, I'm of that family for real <laughs> I take that as a comment yeah I yes. do too <laughs> okay, okay. um and uh I, I don't know I guess it's this it's this thing of taking uh I don't know just looking at the, at the surface mm-hmm. yeah I, I think I think that if we well, first of all, there's no place other than that place to go because that's where we've been stewing for two and a half years. You know, it's like the, mm-hmm. it's the the um, the what are the things that that um, that we wish for, or what are the things that bring nostalgia? What are the things you can't get back? And I think that those are themes that are like those are the thing the questions that we are posing to ourselves, mm-hmm. but that I think people are walking away with. Yeah, because um, I, I think we've never made things where we want to present a story and tell you what we think about it. It's just not that's just not really how our work has ever gone. It's yeah. always been like we're going to put this out there because we've got a lot of questions ourselves. Yeah, and then there's a lot of space to put yourself into it and walk away questioning things or just just that to me that is sort of like I don't want to say the word success, but it kind of is to me like when someone is inspired to think about something they might not mm-hmm. have thought about prior to coming to see yeah. um, to see a show. And, I mean, I think there's a lot of, like, space in how far we can go with that. Like, I think there, there's some works that we're, we're, we've got in, in, in play that, that, you know, are going to ask some really big questions about really big things that might even be social and political. Mm-hmm. And that by somehow putting someone into a world you can create a lot of empathy and mutual understanding when you're telling somebody a story and you give them an experience of something that you're talking about versus sitting in a seat and in watching something about a really difficult topic and saying, oh, well, that's that, and this is me, and I'm mm-hmm. really separated. Whereas if you put somebody inside of it, it just it has a much more resonant effect. That's the whole power, I think, of that's being inside. That's the magic of, yeah. of bringing people into your world to begin with. Yeah, and, and um, I think what's I mean, what's odd about about what you're describing, which is part of what I love about um, The Grand Paradise, is that for me, it um, it it makes, it, it replicates the experience of life, you know, because like, we, I mean, we're looking at each other, we're in this room, but then there's all this, this rich depth that is mm-hmm. both beneath the surface and in the surface, 
and depending on how engaged you are with someone and what you're talking about and what's been going on, it can get thicker or, or thinner, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and in the Grand Paradise, for me, it, it, it got thicker and thicker and thicker. Um, I should choose my words more carefully. <laughs> um, but uh, but in, in a way that was both um, surprising and disturbing and fun and, uh, uh, it's good. I think actually we're trying this new thing, even though it's a podcast, we're doing Collins. Mm-hmm. So I think we have, I think we have someone on the line here. <laughs> um, if I can figure out how to Who use could it be? This. I don't know. Let's see here. All right. Um, all right. Okay. We have someone on the, we have someone on the line here from Los Angeles. California, um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I had a really interesting experience at the Grand Paradise, and um, I wanted to uh, ask uh, about it. Um, I experienced jealousy at the show, and I've I've talked about this with other people, and they. They think that I mean that I was jealous of the show, you know, like when you see something and you're like, oh, I wish I had made that. That's so good. And I mean, I really like the show. Um, I, I, I wrote about uh, that. But um, this is something different. Uh, I got to get taken back into one of the bedroom scenes and... Uh, did I was first because they, they brought two of us in but then left somebody behind in the little waiting area and then I went in and I had the scene and then um, the the girl took me back to the little waiting area and left me there and took the other guy into the room and I sat down and I started to get jealous I started to get really jealous that there was someone in the room that wasn't me getting something that was similar, but by definition different from what I had just experienced. And it really pushed some buttons that I thought were long since dormant. And I knew at the same time that, you know, it's a show. It's not real. But I couldn't shake the feeling that I was missing out. So my question to you, and there is a question, is, is that intended? Is it something that was anticipated? Uh, maybe occasionally expected? I, I definitely got the sense from the whole production that there's kind of a range of reactions that are being sought or enabled, if not definitively driven towards. In fact, I, I distinctly do not feel like anything is being definitively driven towards as opposed to a structure has been made that allows for certain reactions. And my reaction there was intense jealousy. And I just, I, I kind of want to know if, if, if it's just me or <laughs> if the mojo is working. Oh I'll, I'll take my answer uh, oh. off the air. 
It's so amazing. It's so oh. amazing. Wow. You know, that's Tom Pearson's brilliance. Um, there's something really special about those hustler scenes and sitting outside in that little vestibule playing Atari um, while you, you, you start to really understand that it's not just a scene being repeated. That's a profession. <laughs> There's like something about it that's like, um, it's, it's a transaction mm-hmm. in, this, in this way. And um, not everybody ever per- perceives those scenes even as a hustler scene. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily pick up on the cruising quality uh, which is something that Tom has really explored and, and that, that's sort of woven into everything and that's so, so crafted. Um, jealousy, it's, it's to me fascinating. We don't ever really define what emotion we expect people to feel. Like we just never have that thought of like we could ever control that. Mm-hmm. There's definitely ways that we feel and we kind of think that maybe some other people will feel, um, feel, a similar response but sometimes it's really hard to to even gauge when you see a scene yourself because you have so many different responses yourself depending on where you are in that moment or that day um, depending upon who you're with in that scene um, like we had a conversation the other day about you know the Grand Paradise affords more opportunity for couples to experience it together and you don't necessarily get split apart. And we were talking with the cast about like, what is, what is the way to deal with that? Like, do we, do we want to split people apart sometimes? Because there's two parts of things like, and then she fell. Sometimes we would notice that like a couple would be together in the show and I would see them as a couple and there'd be a lot of things going on with that couple. So, you know, maybe they're on their first date or they're on their seventh and the way that, they, you know, the guy just wasn't, he's just too cool for this. And, you know, she bought the ticket. And, like, you could just <laughs> see this whole thing happening. And then, you know, and he would kind of be, like, disengaged and not want to watch you. We would refer to that man as the boyfriend. The boyfriend. <laughs> okay, yeah. The boyfriend. Not outside of the context yeah, of the grandparents, yeah. but, like, somebody who got dragged on a date. To the show. But it was like, this uh-huh. is not my thing. At yeah. The top. yeah. And they have to hold on to that, this is not my thing, right. as long as they possibly right, can right. in front of her. Right. I'm not sure why that is, but they do. And then suddenly they get split apart. And you meet him again. Mm-hmm. And he's completely changed because yeah. she's not there anymore. Yeah. And, and he's actually able to have... drop his, his own expectations of how he's supposed to behave. Right. Yeah. And then they, there's, there's a really amazing thing. So we were talking about, like with couples, how sometimes... Like, should we try sometimes to separate people? Because sometimes their experience can actually be be just freer. If they're not trying to watch a show knowing they're being watched by the person they came to the show with, that they could actually just let their guard down and enjoy it and be freed of that. But then there's other people who get, like, so upset if you try to separate them. And, like, they just, they, that just ruins the entire show for them because they're not together. So we were having this whole conversation of, like, is there any way that we could kind of gauge that? Or is there any way we can invite them to separate? And if they don't, that's fine. We don't, we don't push it. Like, Mm -hmm. is there some way to kind of suss that out a little bit Mm -hmm. so that we could kind of help in those situations? Yeah. 
It's also, I think, another tool that we're thinking about to help with maybe groups that are slightly intoxicated or like, is, is there a way to kind of spread them out so that they don't disrupt other people's experience? And like, is there a way to kind of figure out how to navigate those situations with, with some craft and intention behind it? Mm-hmm. And so the couple thing is, is tricky because there, I think there is a little jealousy that happens in that scene yeah, when there's a yeah. couple but then I've had like my neighbors, all my neighbors went through the hustler scenes. <laughs> so I got an earful after that show. And they actually like were so tickled oh, yeah. when they were the couple and that they, they knew the other one was in there. Oh, yeah. And they thought that was like um, amazing. Um, I have a couple, a married couple of friends who did the same thing. And afterwards they argued about which one she liked more. <laughs> Like they just they with your no no she I definitely had the the stronger connection with her no you weren't in there I had the stronger connection and they just like argued about it and then they also said they they just came to the end and they were like well I guess that was the first time that we we shared a hooker <laughs> it's like the it's like the ice storm or right. something happens you know right. like those this scenes is are what we're doing yeah it's just so it's so funny um, yeah. <laughs> But back to, to Noah's question, yeah. what I find really amazing and endearing about that, his piece that he wrote about this and, mm-hmm. and that question is that, you know, like Janine said, we, we don't create a scene with the intention that it's going to evoke some feeling with an audience. That's not how we make work. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do what I do very, very specifically as a performer, and I think what we do as a company is create spaces where audience and performers can have a connection. And whatever comes out of that connection has to do with who's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that he just, that he had this incredible connection and that this is what it stirred up is so, it's, it's wonderful to me. I think it's amazing story and I think it's it's an amazing experience he had that he now gets to keep mm-hmm. it's yeah. it was so, it's so lovely to hear about the long development of these things and how um, intimate a lot of the content is mm-hmm. I think after I saw after the Grand Paradise opened I think it was a tweet or something and so, I don't remember who it was but they said something along the lines of um, uh, love Grand Paradise thank you through real projects um, always such a big heart and and there's something about in a, through a very different lens or, or frame, both then she fell in the grand paradise. They both feel so open, you know, in a way, and so, um, so intimately intended. Mm. Um, and uh, I think it's something that that certainly I and Noah, and uh, I think your 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 audience members really deeply feel and appreciate. So that's um, nice to hear. So it's yeah. good to hear. That's a testament to the people who make yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the people who see it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Great. Well, um, thank you all for listening for this long. Thank you, Noah. Thank, thanks to our caller, Noah, coming <laughs> in from, from L.A. through the internet somehow. Call again someday. Uh, yeah, that's call right. anytime, that's right. Noah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Janine, Lizzie, thank you so much. Thank um, you. What a pleasure. Thanks, and at some point down the line, we will have a conversation about Then She Fell. Yep. Yeah. That'd be There's awesome. There's a lot more to tell. Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you, you too. Thank you. Once again, just want to thank 
Janine Willett and Elizabeth Corinna for being our guests on the show today. You can find The Grand Paradise on Twitter at Grand Paradise NY. You can find Third Rail Projects on Twitter at TRPNYC. Thank you, Zay, for doing the interview, you lucky, lucky bastard. One of these days, one of these days. Zay is on Twitter at Zay Amsbury. I'm on Twitter at Noah J. Nelson. No Persinium's on Twitter at No Persinium. If you think I like Twitter, you're right. But we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash No Persinium. And um, it's completely useful and sometimes a little more searchable. And all of you are there despite our best efforts. Um, hey, what else is going on out there in the world? Uh, let's talk about the Medium collection for a second because we're putting more and more in there all the time. Medium.com slash No Dash Persinium. Um, the review of Second Skins in there. I'm going to get at least one more review out this uh, this next week. Uh, Zay's got a piece on Houseworld, a nice, uh, some thoughts he had on the show. Uh, we've got uh, Zay's piece on The Grand Paradise. We've got our essays where we pontificate about this stuff. And if you like us pontificating about this stuff, uh, you're going to love next week's episode because next week's episode is No Pro After Dark. And Zay and I have a conversation and um, we wax philosophical. So... Half of you are going to go crazy for it, and half of you are going to never listen to the show ever again. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, there's enough of you. No, there, there aren't. We, we can always use more. Tell a friend. Please tell a friend. Actually, oh, that's something I never ask you guys to do. All right. Um, serious for a second. It is pretentious and presumptive of me to assume that the work we're doing here um, is as significant as uh, the work itself, the show's. Because it's not. Without the shows, we don't exist. But we're doing our best to try and help the shows expand their audience, the experiences, however you want to frame it. To help expand the audience, um, to help people discover that there are more companies doing the work. That's why No Persinium exists as a newsletter. It's why No Persinium exists as a podcast. And one of the fields of battle is iTunes. So I never ask you guys for this, but I'm asking you now. If you can... Take a moment, go onto iTunes, write the podcast a review. It's silly. It's ridiculous. We're 47 episodes into this. I'm enjoying where the downloads are going, but I know we can get more people aware of this going on. Because, folks, the scariest thing is that I know there are plenty of people who produce this kind of work who have no idea that we exist. And it drives me nuts. I also know there's there's people who produce this work who don't realize there are journalists out there at places like LAist and Gothamist who are totally interested in this kind of work and they don't reach out to them or they don't reach out to them in time. I know because I talk to those journalists and they're like, why aren't people telling me about this stuff? And then I kind of go like, well, why aren't you reading the newsletter better? But anyway, um, that's... I, as a journalist, I know that we get inundated with this stuff. So it's it's hard for things to stand out, but people don't even... People don't even try sometimes, and that drives me nuts. So let's help the community grow. Uh, here's our little modest effort. Uh, go out, write a review for the freaking show on iTunes. Um, you know, they have a star rating. I'm not going to dictate to you how many five uh, that the show should get. Five. Um, just remember that this is an algorithmically based situation. Five. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the computer is a mean thing that only understands large numbers that end in five. Um, okay, uh, that was enough of that. Maybe I'll never do that again. Maybe I'll do it again next week. Um, Patreon. 
got a couple of thank yous coming here. Uh, okay, so I'm going to butcher the names because that's what I do for a living. I, I'm a professional name butcherer. So you guys can call me whatever you want, and I won't mind. Mispronounce me all day long. Uh, Kong Shi and Alexander Gideon uh, both jumped in on the Patreon. Thank you both so much. Um, I can feel insincere thanking people for helping out with the show this way, but, but no. We did a thing when we started the show where we said, we're not doing the show unless people are willing to cover the costs of doing the show. Because if it matters enough, then then people will throw a dollar down. People are throwing dollars down, and I'm picking them up wherever they may get thrown. And that's just that. Uh, I've got some plans, finally, for what uh, the Patreon can look like beyond what we've already got. So look for me to be doing the shilling even harder soon. That being said, thank you, Shikong and Thank you, Alexander. Thank you, everyone who backs the show. I'm going to do a big thank you in a in an episode soon uh, because I want to do that that old romper room thing of like, I see so-and-so and so-and-so. I've been dreaming about that since we started this thing. Anyway, I'm, I'm waxing too poetic on that. If you want to be part of that romper room roll call, you go to patreon.com slash no proscenium and toss us a dollar a month and, uh, you know, uh, but you know, even more importantly, something that can help just as much, maybe even more, uh, tell a friend, tell a friend about the show, tell a friend about the newsletter. If everyone who opened the newsletter on a regular basis told one friend about the newsletter, uh, we'd see this boom explosion in growth and an explosion in growth for us hopefully leads to an explosion in growth for the audience for this work, which is why we exist. I've said that too many times now. I'm a broken record. I'm a broken record on a Friday or a Saturday or Sunday, whenever you're listening to this. Thank you all. There's so much going on. Got another great episode next week. Got some more episodes lined up. Got some thoughts of where all this can go. And with all that in mind, um, until next time, I will see you at the show. <laughs>